Dr. Dave Reagan, would you go ahead and come up? And I'm uh, so glad that you're here. Thank you. For a, another service. And he's uh, had a busy schedule and did a two-day conference in Texas and flew up here after the conference yesterday and has two services this morning. And so we are grateful that he was uh, willing to get us in his schedule. He has a, a, a big schedule this week because his fiance Linda Rake, has a birthday uh, this, this weekend. And so glad that uh, we're a part of it in a little way. Uh, so if you haven't met Linda, Linda, just raise your hand. And, uh, and she is our uh, special connection uh, in, on this date that um, Dr. Reagan was already be in town to be with his fiance, and, and so we were able to grab him uh, for a Sunday morning. Uh, but uh, Dr. Reagan has been you know, here a number of times, and, and he's really uh, old friends with Joel and Carol League. And, uh, and through that friendship uh, that continued for many years, uh, we were in 1995, went on our first uh, Israel trip, uh, but then, and I, and I couldn't tell you what years it was, but several years as we kept doing Israel trips, uh, teams went with uh, Dr. Reagan and, and Lamb and Line Ministries. That really bonds you together uh, when you're uh, on, on a bus all day Boy, long and in and out in and, and hotels together. And so we really have uh, a, a, a close uh, relationship with him and his ministry. I want to encourage you to get online and, and check out the website, Lamb and Lion Ministries, because it is full of resources of teaching, not just from him, but also his other staff that are teachers about the end times, about biblical prophecy, about Israel and the end times. And it, you can just surf it and just find all kinds of topics. That, oh, I got to listen to that. I got to listen to that. I got to read that. I got to read that. It's, it's really exhaustive and it's, it's top-notch material in this area. So we are, um, again, just grateful Dr. Reagan, you're here, and, and Linda as well, and uh, and you, you're released to uh, be led by the Lord today. Okay, okay. Well, greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope. It's great to be with you. I want to thank the Pastor Stephen for inviting me to be here. Very gracious of you. I want to thank Phil Whitehead for all of his work with us. He was my go-between, and all the arrangements made with him. He did such a great job. I want to thank the tech team back there for all the work they did to get a few PowerPoints on their computers and come up with this gizmo for me to operate them with. And uh, I can't tell you how excited I am to be here because this is a very special place to me. I uh, came here the first time in the early 90s, and and, uh, Joel and I just bonded immediately, first because we both loved to worship, and uh, he, he had some amazing worship services back in those days. I want to thank the worship team this morning. But, uh, boy, that was something. And then we also both loved Israel. And uh, that's very very seldom these days. You find pastors who know anything about the Jews in prophecy or Israel or have a love for Israel. And this congregation has always had a love for Israel and has always been reaching out to the Jewish people to share with them their love and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So... I've got a lot of memories of ministry here over the years. And I think, as I said in the first service, my greatest memory was the time I came and spoke on Sunday morning through Wednesday night. And the person who led in worship was Paul Wilbur, who was, is still today the number one Messianic Jewish worship leader in America. But uh, Joel arranged for him to come here somehow, and we just had a great time that week. I uh, 
wanted to uh, send greetings to all of you from our, uh, see if I can get this going here. There we go. Oops. <laughs> Jumping around over here. Okay, here we go. This is a picture of our staff, and uh, that verse that there is one of the ones that is a foundation of our ministry, and that is that uh, when, you know, we are to look up and be watchful, for the Lord is coming soon. And when we see all these signs take place, look up then, because He can come any moment. We have a television program called Christ in Prophecy, and uh, that particular program is broadcast across the nation, and we have a great response to it. It's just been so blessed, and uh, we invite you to watch it. And uh, if you can't find it for some reason on your television, go to our website at lamblion.com, and uh, you will find it there. Uh, no and in the middle, just lamblion.com. We have a person on that website eight hours a day named Nathan Jones, and uh, he can answer your questions. We have a high-speed search engine on there, and we also post all of our television programs on there, and you can call them up and watch them on demand. You can also sign up there for our magazine. It's a magazine that comes out every other month, six issues a year, 28 pages long. And uh, we have about 100,000 subscribers to that now. And most of them get it by email. So you can get a digital issue free of charge. If you want a printed one, there is a charge. I don't remember what it is, but it's small. And you can sign up either way uh, at our website for that. I uh, always like to begin with a few smiles. And the way I usually do that is with church signs. I, uh, <laughs> I started collecting church signs in 1980. I was on the radio for 22 years before we switched to television. And the first six months I was on the radio, I spent the entire time talking about the signs of the times that we're living in that indicate Jesus is coming soon. And at the end of that six months, a lady wrote me a letter. And she said, boy, you're really obsessed with signs. And said, I've got a picture of one in this letter that I thought you'd find amazing and amusing. And I looked at the picture, and it was a picture of a church sign from a church in Canton, Texas. And the name of the church was... Little Hope Baptist Church. And I thought, I want to be a member of a Big Hope Church, not a Little Hope Church. So I read that on the radio. Next sign I got was Halfway Baptist Church. Well, I don't want to get halfway there. I want to get all the way there, you know. And, and so I kept reading these signs. They kept coming in and coming in. And my latest count, I have over 820 signs that people have sent to me in 29 categories. And uh, you wouldn't believe uh, some of the signs. I mean, uh, uh, like uh, this one that, you know, possessed by demons, visitors welcome. I would just keep on driving. It's not a way to get me into the church. But I, I tell you, I've, I learned a long time ago that one of the ways, one of the ways that people deal with crisis is with humor. I don't want to downplay the pandemic because people have lost their lives. But one of the ways we've always dealt with, with crisis is with humor. It's a coping mechanism, and the church has got in on it during the pandemic. So let me show you some of the responses that church has had to the pandemic. Here's an interesting one here. Jesus cleans the heart, we disinfect the pew. That skipped the first one. Can we go back to the first one there? Can we uninstall 2020 and install it again? This version has a virus. And then this next one there we took a look at, and then this guy Look at this one. Nope. Hey, fellas. Here we go. Nope. That's not it. No toilet paper. I guess the roll was called up yonder. I don't know. I think we're skipping slides here for some reason. Social distancing does not apply to God. Draw near to Him. Yes. 
And due to COVID-19, we are asking rioters to work at home and destroy their own stuff. (laughs) This next one is one of my favorites, and that is, this too shall pass. Now, it may pass like a kidney stone, but it will pass. (laughs) And it's passing like a kidney stone. And then this one. I love. I want to be like Saul. I want to be on the road to Damascus. <laughs> Hallelujah. The governor of our state, Damascus. About two weeks ago, we don't have to wear them in Texas anymore. So praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, what I want to do this morning is talk to you about uh, Israel in Bible prophecy, past and present, because this congregation has such a love for Israel. I thought I'd just give you a survey of that. But before we do, let's pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for the vision that you placed on the heart of Joel and Carol League 40 years ago. I thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you that they had the faith to be able to step out and act on that vision. Thank you for giving them that faith. And I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to this church over the years. All the times that you solved problems, all the times you provided needs when they were Uh, great needs, financial and otherwise. And I just thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for all the lives that have been touched by this church over the 40 years, both in this county, across this nation, in the nation of Israel, even to this day. I thank you, Lord. And I just pray that you will put the best years of this church ahead of it right now. I thank you for the pastor. I thank you for his zeal for your word. I thank you that this is truly a Bible-believing church. And I just pray that you'll pour out your spirit and give them great years ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Something I did not realize, although Joel and I were close friends over the years, I never realized was that we founded our ministries one year apart. He founded his, I founded Lamb and Lion Ministries in April of 1980 on April the 1st. And um, that will be on Thursday of this week. We'll be celebrating our 41st anniversary. And then uh, Joel formed this church one year later. And so we're celebrating our 41st anniversary. The church is celebrating its 40th. And I must tell you this. I was vice president of university. I'd been 20 years uh, in an academic career when God called me to give up my career and step out in faith and start preaching. So I went to the president of the university, who was also, it was a Christian university, and he was, he was a, a, a former pastor. And I said, I have decided to resign he said, do you need a new car? I said, no. <laughs> he said, you want a member in the country club? And I said, no, I you don't understand. I said, I'm resigning to serve the Lord. He said, oh, I understand. He said, what church? I said, no church. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go out and preach that Jesus is coming soon. He said, oh, dear me. And uh, he said, when are you going to do that? I said, well, I'm going to give you two weeks notice, April the 1st. And he sat there for a moment and he looked up at me and he said, all I can say to you is that you have selected a very appropriate day to start your ministry, April Fool's Day. So, one year later, I arrived back from my first pilgrimage to Israel, and my wife met me at the airport, and she had a a present, all dressed up with a bow on it. I said, this is not our anniversary. It's not my birthday. She said, well, open it. So, I opened it, and she had designed a plaque for me. It had the symbol of the ministry on it, and it said, uh, congratulations on the first anniversary of Lamb and Lion Ministries. And it had that quote from the writings of Paul that says, we are fools for Christ's sake. And that's one of my most precious possessions. So, yes, we've been a fool for Christ's sake now for 41 years, and boy, has he blessed. He has just blessed beyond anything we could imagine. So we praise God for that. Well, what I'd like to do is uh, take a look at uh, some prophecies that God has been fulfilling 
And I want to look at four that he fulfilled among the Jewish people uh, before the uh, beginning of the 20th century. And one of the, there are several reasons I want to do this. Uh, I want to do it because it shows how faithful God is to keeping his promises. It shows you that the Bible truly is the Word of God. In fact, one of my spiritual mentors was a man by the name of Carl Ketcherside. And I went to hear him speak one day. He spoke on love. He didn't know anything about Bible prophecy, but he spoke on love. I didn't think he knew anything about Bible prophecy. When he finished, he opened it up. He said, any questions? And um, the very first question was this one. If you could only give one evidence that the Bible is the Word of God, just one, what would it be? And he thought for a moment, and he said, the yellow pages of the phone book. And everybody thought, what in the world is he talking about? He said, let me explain. He said, the Word of God says over and over that God is going to preserve the Jewish people. He said, they've been scattered worldwide for 2,700 years. He said, go to the yellow pages of the phone book and look at the names of the physicians. Look at the names of the CPAs. Look at the names of the bankers. Look at the names of the banks. Look at the names of the department stores. You're going to see Jewish name after Jewish name after Jewish name. God did exactly what he said. He preserved the Jewish people. Well, before the Jewish people went into the land of the promised land, Moses gave a long, long speech in the book of Deuteronomy. And he told them, he said, listen, this is going to be your land forever, but your enjoyment of the land will depend upon your obedience to God. Although you'll own the land forever, if you are disobedient, there's going to be, dis uh, there's going to be consequences. He said, you must follow my law. And if you don't follow it, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send prophetic voices to you, and they're going to warn you and tell you of your sins and call you to repentance. And if you do not respond to those prophetic voices, I'm going to send remedial judgments. And in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, he lists those remedial judgments. I mean, it's just one after another after another. He says, this is the things I'm going to do to you to call you to repentance. There's going to be, he said, a, a, a plague of divorce. There's going to be rebellion by teenagers. There's going to be droughts. There's going to be floods. There's going to be root rot of your, uh, of your crops. There's going to be hailstorms. There's going to be windstorms. There's going to be losses of wars. There's going to be domination by foreign armies. There's going, it just goes on and on and on. And he says, if you refuse to repent after I send the prophetic voices and the remedial judgments, just like he's doing with our country today, then he said, I will give you the greatest punishment of all, and that is exile from the land. Well, that's exactly what God did. And I want to read you two verses that are two of the saddest verses in all of the Word of God. These verses are found over in Second uh, Chronicles. So if you have your, here we go, Second Chronicles chapter 36. And you can almost hear the Lord weeping when you read these two verses. Second Chronicles 36, beginning with verse 15. And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, the temple. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. And so God dispersed them from the land. My friends, those passages refer to the United States of America today. God is sending prophetic voices. I've written a book called The, the, the Prophetic Voices of, Amer uh, of God's Prophetic Voices to America, in which I identify 13 voices calling this nation to repentance. God is sending remedial judgments like the Vietnam War, like Hurricane Katrina, 
stock market crashes, the pandemic. These are warnings of God calling this nation to repentance. And whether this nation is going to pay any attention or not, I don't know. I don't think it is, and I think, don't think it's going to. So God dispersed the Jewish people all over the world. And they literally went all over the world. By the beginning of the 20th century, there were Jews on every continent and almost every nation of the world. The second promise he made. He said, when you are dispersed, he said, you will be persecuted wherever you go. Wherever you go, you will be persecuted. Listen to this. He, I mean, he puts it in, in very, very startling words in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, he, he talks about how terribly they're going to be persecuted all over the world. He says, if you're not careful to observe all the words of this law, and you do not honor the name of the Lord, this is verse 58 of Deuteronomy 28, he says, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples of the earth from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which uh, you or your fathers have not known. And among those nations you'll find no rest. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, despair of soul. Your life will hang in doubt before you. You shall be in dread night and day and shall have no assurance of your life. In the morning you'll say, oh, I wish it were evening. In the evening you'll say, I wish it were morning because of the dread of your heart which you dread and for the sight of your eyes which you shall see. The Jews were dispersed just as God said he was. They were persecuted everywhere they went in the world. They were harassed, persecuted. They were downplayed. They were uh, murdered until finally it ended up in the Holocaust when six million of them died. Then in addition to the dispersion and persecution, God said, I'm going to do another thing. He said, I am going to make your land desolate. Desolate. And he, make, uh, he puts this in graphic terms. Look at Deuteronomy 29 and verse 22. 29 22, where he talks about how desolate the land will become. He says, for the generations to come, your sons who rise up after you and the foreigner, the pilgrims like us, who come from a distant land, when they see the plagues of the land and the diseases which the Lord has afflicted it, they will say, all its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unsown, unproductive, and no grass grows in it. It's like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. And all the nations shall say, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this great outburst of anger? And then men will say, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and they went and they served other gods therefore the anger of the Lord burned against that land in the 2000 years before the beginning of the 20th century from the time the Romans overthrew Jerusalem in 70 AD that land became a total desolation just like this all the trees were cut down by the beginning of the 20th century there were no trees left alive in Israel below the Sea of Galilee. Everything had been denuded. All of the valleys had become malaria-infested swamplands. But let me tell you something. God did that on purpose. He did it on purpose because what he was doing was preserving the land for the Jewish people because it became such a desolation. Nobody wanted it. By the beginning of the 20th century, almost no one was living in the land they called Palestine. Just a few scattered Arabs around the land. Most of the land was owned by absentee landlords in Damascus who never used it for anything except to brag about how much land they had. But God did that to preserve the land for the Jewish people. But it became an utter desolation. 
There are many books. I, I collect books about the, uh, of 19th century visits uh, to the Holy Land, and, and the descriptions are just horrible. The, the most outstanding book written by it was written by Mark Twain in 1866. He went to the Holy Land. I don't know why. He was never a believer. He was living in San Francisco. He was an unknown uh, reporter. He traveled all the way across the United States, which took him weeks. This is in 1866. And then he joined a, a church group from New York and took it three months. They went over to Europe, and he traveled through there. And he wrote his first book, published in 1867, that made him world famous. The title of the book, Innocence Abroad. Innocence Abroad. It was the most famous book that he wrote. His very first one, and until the day he died, right after the beginning of the 20th century, it was his most popular book, more popular than Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer. You ought to get that book. It's still available at a bookstore. And it tells about his trip to the Holy Land, Innocence Abroad. And it tells about his trip, and he talks about the desolation. He talks about how he rode a horse from Tiberias up on the Sea of Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. It took him three days to ride that horse. He said he never saw a shrub. He never saw a tree. He never saw a human being. He never saw anything but rocks. He said, the whole land of Israel sits in uh, ashes, uh, sackcloth and ashes. That's how bad it was. It was a horribly desolate land, just as God said it would become. I want you to notice how specific these prophecies are. They're not gobbledygook prophecies like you read in Nostradamus that don't mean anything at all. But these are very precise because God wants you to know, number one, this is His Word. It came from Him. And He wants you to know, number two, He is a God who keeps promises. He makes specific promises, and He keeps them. So, we go then to the final of the four prophecies fulfilled before the 20th century. And folks, this is the most amazing one of all. And that is the preservation of the Jewish people. God preserved the Jewish people for 27 years hundred years. We often think about the dispersion beginning in 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed uh, Jerusalem, but that was not when it began. It began in 732 B.C. when the Assyrians destroyed the northern nation of Israel with its ten tribes and scattered those tribes all across Eurasia. It was Judah, the southern nation, that was destroyed in 70 A.D. with two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, and that was when those tribes were scattered. But the Jews have been scattered around the world for 2,700 years. No people in history have been able to be scattered all over the world and keep their identity. Oral Toynbee wrote five volumes on the history of mankind. And he developed a theme of history for 26 civilizations about how civilizations are formed, how they rise, how they decline, and how they are finally destroyed. And the only people who did not fit his scheme were the Jewish people. He said they just don't fit it. Somehow or other they've been able to survive. He didn't know how. But he said they have been able to survive. And no other people have been able to do that. They have resisted, as he put it, being absorbed into the soup of humanity. They've kept their identity. Well, there's only one reason that that could happen, and that is supernatural protection of God. God preserved them throughout all that period of time. God says, I have the Jewish people written on the palm of my hands. He says, can a mother forget her nursing child? He said, it's possible, not probable. But he says, I can never forget Israel. He said, Israel will be dispersed. Israel will be punished wherever they go. But the nations that punish them will cease to exist. But Israel will continue forever. Those are specific words taken right out of the Scriptures concerning the preservation of the Jewish people. So, we have their dispersion. We have their persecution. 
Uh, we have their uh, preservation. We have the desolation of their land. That brings us to the 20th century and to the uh, prophecies that have been fulfilled in whole or in part in the 20th century. You know, I uh, told the first audience this morning, I said, I was having lunch recently with an uh, older man, and, and, and right in the middle of the lunch, he tur- looked at me and said, David, wouldn't it have been exciting to live in Bible times? And I said, brother, we are living in Bible times. We're seeing prophecies fulfilled before our very eyes that were made 2,500 years ago. We are living in the most exciting time in history, except for the time of the first coming of Jesus Christ, because we're living in the season of the Lord's return. Now, what prophecies did God fulfill in whole or in part in the uh, 20th century? Well, the first one was the regathering of the Jewish people. This is the most prolific prophecy in the Old Testament Scriptures. It's mentioned more than any other prophecy that in the end times God is going to bring the children of Israel back to Israel from the four corners of the earth in unbelief. Not, not after they've responded to Yeshua, not after they've accepted Jesus, but He's going to bring them back in unbelief. There's a reason for that. There's a reason. The reason is he's going to regather the Jews back to the land. And then when they're in that land, he is going to begin the tribulation period. And he's going to hammer the Jewish people like no people have ever been hammered before. And two-thirds, it says in the book of Zechariah, two-thirds will die more than in the Holocaust. Not because God hates the Jews, but because he loves the Jews. He wants to bring them to salvation. He has promised that a remnant will come to salvation. But how he's going to do it is he's going to hammer them until they come to the end of themselves. In Old Testament times, every time they got in trouble, they went to Egypt. In New Testament, uh, in, in modern times, it's the United States of America. But it says in the end times, all the nations of the world are going to come against Israel. They will have no one to turn to. They'll get to the end of the tribulation. They will come to the end of themselves. And then it says in the book of Zechariah that they will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they will weep and well and mourn as one weeps over the loss of an only son, and they will accept Yeshua as their Messiah. Jesus himself said it. In Matthew, he said, I will not return to this earth until the remnant of the Jews are saved. I will not return until the Jewish people are willing to cry out, Baruch HaBashim Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Couldn't believe it when I got here this morning and they sang that song. <laughs> Had to be the leading of the Holy Spirit, you know. It's just amazing. But that, that's what they're going to do. And yet, do you know the majority of church, probably 85% of all churches teach that God washed his hands of the Jews in the first century because they didn't accept Yeshua, has no purpose left for them. And Jesus said, I'm not coming back till the Jews say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God has a purpose for the Jewish people. That's why he's regathering them. That's why he's preserved them. That brings us to, to the second prophecy fulfilled in the 20th century. And that is one that's also prophesied all through the Old Testament, the reestablishment of the state of Israel. The state of Israel was reestablished on May the 14th, 1948, when David Ben-Gurion stood up in a small hall in Tel Aviv that only hold about 150 people. And he read that declaration. And 11 minutes later, President Harry Truman recognized the state of Israel. And uh, that uh, was a glorious event. I, I consider that the greatest event of the 20th century from a spiritual viewpoint. I recently got on the Internet and I said, what are the greatest events of the 20th century? And boy, list after list after list came up. And they had all kinds of things on there. The Lindbergh flight, collapse of the Soviet Union, all kinds. Of, you know what was the number one thing? That nearly everyone listed the number one thing. The dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima in August of 1945. But the reestablishment of Israel was more important than that. 
The reestablishment of Israel was more important than all the great events of the 20th century because it is the signal that we are living in the season of the Lord's return. All end-time prophecy, all of it focuses on the nation of Israel. That's what it focuses on. And for years, prophetic scholars have said, when Israel is reborn, we will know that we are in the season of the Lord's return. In 1909, a pastor in Dallas, Texas, by the name of C.I. Schofield, wrote a study Bible, 1909. How he got it published by the Oxford University Press, I don't know, but they did. It To this day, the best-selling Bible study uh, uh, book in, in, uh, uh, in the world has sold millions and millions of copies. But you know what? In 1909, you know what he said about Ezekiel 38 and 39? He says Ezekiel 38 and 39 says that in the end times, Russia and its allies are going to invade Israel. He said, I don't understand that. I can't explain it, but I believe it. Think about it. 1909. In 1909, Israel did not exist. There was no possibility that Israel was going to exist. And Russia was a Christian Orthodox nation in 1909. But he said, I don't know. I can't explain it. But I believe it. The God. And, and even the Puritans 450 years ago were saying, watch Israel. Watch Israel. Israel's going to come back together. When Israel comes back together, the Lord's going to come. And people laughed at them and ridiculed them and said they were nuts. Well, they weren't. May the 14th, 1948, Israel was reestablished. And my favorite verse about that is in Isaiah 66, verses 7 and 8, where it's a symbolic prophecy. Symbolic. The prophecy says that in the end times, a nation will be born in one day, and then the birth pangs will come. And it says, isn't that strange? It says it. Isn't that strange? How many women have given birth, and then the birth pangs came? But said there's going to birth pangs going to come after the birth of this nation. And after, on, on the day after May the 14th, 1948, five Arab nations attacked Israel, and they're still attacking to this day, and the birth pangs are still going on until this very day. Then the reclamation of the land. I told you how horrible the land was. Well, the land was reclaimed. In Ezekiel 36, it talks about the reclamation of the land. And oh, my, what a uh, prophecy it is. Let me just read you this one because it is so powerful. And it's only two, two verses long. Ezekiel 36, 34. And the desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. And they will say the desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden and the waste desolate and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. Oh, my, if you could go to Israel today and see... It's like the Garden of Eden. When the Jews began to come back, they, uh, they, they uh, drained those malaria-infested swamps. They took eucalyptus trees and planted them around the exterior because they found out that they absorbed more water than any other tree. Then they dug canals. To, and today, those valleys like the Valley of Sharon are the breadbasket of the Middle East. You go to the, the border between Israel and Jordan, and trucks are lined up for miles waiting to go across with all of the food that Israel produces for the Arab countries. It's, it's like the Garden of Eden once again. And not only that, but in the 20th century, the Jews planted 250 million trees. I used to plant 10 every time I would go to Israel. 250 million trees in one year. The whole land has been completely changed. Because of the planting of the trees, the rainfall has increased 450% over what it was for 2,000 years. It's amazing what God has done in this land. And he said he was going to do it, and he did it. Then the next miracle of the 20th century was the revival of the Hebrew language. Most people don't know this, but when the Jews were evicted from the land, they stopped speaking Hebrew. They didn't speak it anymore. For 2,000 years, the Hebrew language was dead as a doornail. Uh, the, the, the Jews that went into Europe took 
German and mixed it with Hebrew and came up with a language called Yiddish. The ones who went into the Mediterranean basin, they took Hebrew, mixed it with Spanish, and came up with a language called Ladino. But they stopped speaking Hebrew. And yet, the Bible says in two places, in Zephaniah 3.9 and in Isaiah 31.23, that the Hebrew language is going to be revived in the end times. And that's exactly what God did. He raised up a man who was born in Lithuania. I think I said Latvia the first, but it's Lithuania. He was born in Lithuania. And he, he was diagnosed with, uh, with TB at the age of 17 or 18. And he said, if I'm going to die of TB, they say he only had three years to live. He said, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die in my homeland. So he went to Israel, to Jerusalem, which was the incubator of every disease you could imagine, the most unhealthy place on planet Earth. And he lived a long, long time after that. And he devoted his life to reviving the Hebrew language from the dead. And he did it in 1928. When the British were in control of Palestine, they declared three languages to be the official languages of the land. English, Arabic, and Biblical Hebrew. People in Israel today speak Biblical Hebrew. It's amazing. It's, a, it's an absolutely unbelievable. Think about somebody trying to revive the English of Chaucer, you know, 800, 900 years ago. Not 2,000, but just eight or 900 years ago. And, and try to revive that today and have to come up with a, 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 a Chaucer-type word for everything that's been invented since that time. And this guy was a purist. He wouldn't take telephone and put it into the Hebrew language. It had to be a pure Hebrew word. And yet he succeeded. And so we have the regathering of the Jews, the reestablishment of the state, the reclamation of the land, the revival of the language. And then the next one, and that is the resurgence of the military. Israel is one of the smallest nations on planet Earth. Israel is about the size of Vermont. Very small, very tiny. It, it's only 300 miles long. It's only 75 miles wide. You can drive all over Israel in one day. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing. And yet, Israel is always in the top 10 military powers in the world. How can that be? A nation that tiny, but it's always ranked in the top ten military powers in the world. And what does God say in the book of Zechariah? In the book of Zechariah, he says, in the end times, that Israel will be like David against Goliath. He says in the end times that uh, the inhabitants of Jerusalem will be so powerful that they will be like a fire pot among pieces of wood and a flaming torch among sheaves, that they will consume and devour all the nations around them. It says God will protect them. And he's done that. They have this powerful military that has been able to sow. Can you imagine a, a, a nation of 6.8 million surviving in a sea of Arab nations that have 400 million people and every one of them desire to destroy Israel? 400 million against 6.8 million. And yet Israel has been able to survive. And so what was the next one would be the miraculous reoccupation of Jerusalem on June the 7th, 1967, in the Six-Day War. What a day that was uh, when they reoccupied that city. They rushed to the Wailing Wall, and while they were there crying, they have many photos of the soldiers. They're crying. They're weeping before the wall. And Rabbi Shlomo Gorham, the chief rabbi of the Israeli army, who later became the chief rabbi of Israel, came up to that wall holding a Torah scroll. We have you know, films of this, a Torah scroll in one hand and a shofar in the other. He blows the shofar. He puts it in his hand. He holds up his hand and he says, I proclaim to you the beginning of the Messianic age. And why did he do that? Because he knows that the Bible says that when the Jews are back in the land and back in their city, 
the Messiah is going to come. It is the Orthodox Jews who are expecting the Lord any moment. It is the Orthodox Jews who are making preparations for the coming of the Messiah. The next issue of our magazine, the May-June, the, the cover story is Jewish preparations for the Messiah. It's amazing what they're doing to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. They're not going to be surprised by the coming of the Messiah. They're going to be surprised by His identity. But while they are looking for the Messiah to return Him, it's the church that is sound asleep. It's the church that could care less. The first time Jesus came, it was the Jews that missed Him, and it was the church that got it. This time He's about to return. It's the Jews who expect Him to return. It's the church that's asleep. We need to wake up and prepare our people for the soon return of the Lord. So, the final prophecy of the 20th century that was fulfilled is the refocusing of world politics on Israel. Again, Zechariah says, in the end times, the whole world's going to come against Israel over the issue of Jerusalem. We have that now. It became even more intense when President Trump recognized Jerusalem. Even more nations came against it. Uh, the worlds, the nations of the world are determined to destroy Israel, and we are going to join them. It says every nation in the world will turn against Israel. The current administration's already turning against Israel. So, we have all of those prophecies fulfilled in whole or in part in the 20th century. Now, let me end with this. What is the significance of all of this to us? To a bunch of Gentiles. I mean, I, I, I don't know if there's any Jewish people here or not. I hope there are. But the church today is primarily made up of Gentiles. What is the significance of what God's doing among the Jewish people to a group of Gentiles living in the 21st century? Why should we even be concerned? Let me give you four quick reasons. Number one, it is evidence of God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. God is on His throne. God is in control. God has the wisdom and the power to orchestrate all the evil of mankind to the triumph of Jesus Christ. He, he's already proved that at the cross. The most dastardly act in the history of mankind was the cross. But through the power of the resurrection, God made it the most glorious thing. Satan's got to be the most frustrated guy on planet earth because no matter what he does, God turns it around to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, uh, it, it is a significant proof that God is on His throne. I, I mentioned this morning that every time I hear the news and get upset about the news and all the horrible things going on in our nation, I go to Psalm 2 and I read Psalm 2 because Psalm 2 says that, now this, this is a psalm written a thousand years before Jesus by David. Psalm 2 says that all the leaders of the world are in rebellion against God, shaking their fist at God and shaking their fist at His anointed one, the Messiah. And it says, you don't believe this, but it says, and God sits in the heavens and laughs. Not because he's not concerned, but because he has it all under control. And that calms my soul. <laughs> and I have to realize God's got it under control. And then the second reason it's significant to us is because it's a testimony of God's faithfulness. As he fulfills one prophecy after another prophecy after another prophecy, we can be assured that he's going to fulfill every prophecy that he has made to the church. And he's made a lot of promises to the church. I'll, I'll, I'll end with those promises. But he's made a lot of promises to the church, and he's going to fulfill every one of them. Another reason, third reason it's significant to us is because it's a demonstration of God's grace his grace. The Old Testament prophets say of their people that the Jewish people are the most stiff-necked, stubborn people on planet earth. Over and over they say that. And they have proved that throughout history. They are under discipline now. And they've been under discipline for 2,000 years. But 
God is determined to bring a remnant of them to salvation. He has never given up on them. He's never washed his hands of them. He still loves them, even though they have rebelled against him. He loves them, and he pursues them, just like he has pursued you and me. They are a demonstration of God's grace. Every one of us were rebellious against God. The only reason we are saved is because of the grace of God. They are a demonstration of God's grace, that when you are obedient to God, he blesses. When you're disobedient, he puts you under, uh, under discipline. And when you repent, he forgives, and he forgets, and he saves. What a glorious thing that is. And another reason that we should be concerned about what the God is doing among the Jewish people is because it is an incredible demonstration of the love of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the Jews are, you know, any God created by the mind of man would have washed his hands of the Jewish people a long time ago and also you and me. (laughs) But we have a God of love. And finally, The fourth reason it's significant to us is because it's proof positive that we are living in the season of the Lord's return, and the Lord is going to return any moment. And when I say return, I believe that the return of the Lord is going to be in two phases. First, the rapture of the church, and later, the second coming. There is not one prophecy that has to be fulfilled for the rapture to occur. There are many prophecies that have to be fulfilled before the second coming. There has to be a temple rebuilt. There has to be seven years of tribulation. All those sort of things have to happen, but not for the rapture. The rapture can occur any moment. The rapture is imminent. It can occur any moment. And, and, and it's kind of like Tim LaHaye told me one time, he said, you know, David, there's, there, there are not signs for the rapture. There's only signs for the tribulation, the second coming. But he said, it's kind of like this. He said, one time at Christmas, I went to the mall, and I, we were walking through the mall, and my wife turned to me and said, Look around. What do you see that's different from the last time we were here? And he said, I looked around. I said, I don't see anything different. <laughs> she said, I figured that's what you'd say because you men are never observant. I look around again. So she looked around again. He said, well, I, want, I know. Everywhere I look, I see people putting up Christmas decorations. She said, yes, honey. And what is that a sign of? That Christmas is coming. Yes. And she said, it's also a sign that Thanksgiving is right around the corner because they put those decorations up in August. (laughs) So, there are signs of Christmas, but there are also an indication that Thanksgiving's around the corner. The signs of the times point to the tribulation and the second coming, but they're an indication the rapture is right around the corner. And folks, let me tell you, I hope you're ready. I accepted Jesus Christ when I was uh, 11 years old, a long time ago, and the Lord has kept me as a result of that. So when I get up every morning, I look at the sky and I say, Maranatha, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And I hope you can do the same. Because let me tell you, very soon, Jesus is going to step out on a cloud. He's going to appear. There's going to be the shout of an archangel, the blowing of a trumpet. The dead in Christ are going to be resurrected. And Jesus is going to bring with him the spirits of those who have dead in Christ. He's going to reconstruct their bodies and put the spirit back together with the body. And just like that, he's going to make the body immortal. It doesn't matter if your body has been burned. Your body has, has dissolved in the ocean. Your body has been eaten by worms. This is the one who spoke and the whole universe came into existence. And when he speaks, those bodies are going to come back together. He's going to take them up and put those spirits back in, immortal. And then those of us who are alive, we will go up. And on the way up, we will be translated from mortal to immortal. On the way up, he'll take us back to heaven. He will conduct a judgment of our works, not to determine our ter- uh, salvation, but to determine our degrees of war. Every time a person is born again, they're given at least one spiritual gift, and the Lord's going to expect you to use that gift to advance his kingdom. That's why it's so important for you to discover what your spiritual gifts are. You're going to be judged one day on how you did that. 
And boy, what a day that's going to be. Some people you never heard of are going to get crowns so full of joy, jewels they'll have a neck ache forever in heaven. But uh, it's just going to be an amazing uh, judgment. And then when all the awards are handed out, we're going to celebrate our union with the Lord Jesus Christ with the greatest feast the cosmos has ever experienced called the Marriage Feast of the Lamb. And when we finish that celebration, he's going to stand up and say, let's go. And we're going to break from the heavens with him. Did you know the Bible teaches that the church is coming back with him when he comes back to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem in the second coming and his foot touches that mountain that splits in half? Hundreds of millions of glorified saints will be in the heavens. Others will be in the Kidron Valley. He did it once before when he came on a donkey and he rode that donkey down into the Kidron Valley. And just as your pastor said, people shouted, Hosanna, the son of David, Hosanna, the son of God. And a week later, many of those were shouting, crucify him. And it's going to be different this time. This time he's not coming on a donkey. He's coming on a white war charger, the symbol of a victorious general. He's going to ride down in that valley, and we are going to be there to witness this. We will be singing, Hosanna, the Son of David. Hosanna, the Son of God. It's going to be a glorious day. And then he, he's going to go up to that eastern gate. Uh, which has been closed for 500 years. Ezekiel 44 said the eastern gate will be closed, and it has been closed now for 500 years in fulfillment of that prophecy. And he's going to walk up to that gate, and as he walks up to it, listen to what's going to happen. Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. That gate's going to explode open. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, that the King of glory may come. He's going to spread us all over the earth in our glorified bodies, and we're going to reign with Him over those in the flesh. And we are going to, He's going to rule with a rod of iron, and the earth is going to be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice as the waters cover the sea. And then at the end of that millennial reign, He's going to take us and put us in that new Jerusalem, and in our new bodies, in the new Jerusalem, He's going to lower us down to a new and beautified earth, and we're going to live in His presence forever and ever and ever. And that's why I shout, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I love it. I love it when he does that. <laughs> I just tell you. Jesus coming back on a victorious white horse, folks. Oh, thank you, Lord. There's nothing but victory in the name of Jesus. The name above all names. I want you to just wait on the Lord for a minute, and I'm going to ask you to stand and worship with us as, as we close here in a moment. But I, I just believe the Holy Spirit is saying this as he, as he went into those sequences that, that God gives us gifts and we're going to be judged and, and that will determine the amount of a reward we receive. Well, you'll receive reward but it, about your faithfulness and obedience to God and the gifts that he gave you to use while you lived on the earth will determine the amount of the reward. And I just want you to wait on on the spirit of God. Lord, am I am I slacking in that area? Am I slacking? Am I am I did I put it aside and I put my own desires first and not your desires first? Just just take a moment with the Lord right now. Let the Lord speak to you. Because you want to be ready when he comes with a relationship with Jesus and with an obedient response with the gifts that he gave you so that reward in in eternity will be magnified will be increased Lord speak to us Lord speak to us
And one thing he, in the earlier service, that, that God just refreshed my heart and pricked my heart, said, Stephen, don't forget the calling to Israel that Living Waters has. Don't, don't let it slack. Don't let it, don't let it die out. And I've, that's been true in my heart. But I believe this, this point here is a recommitment from the leadership of the church, my heart, and our, our Israel missions team, anyone at the sound of my voice online, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to reconsider. If you haven't considered seriously, by prayer, what do you want me to do, Lord, to reach the Jewish people, to support God's work in Israel? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to be a part of? Part of it. Again, give it, send us your address and your email and things as we... We have ministry that we support in Israel. We have, we've done trips, and, and I want to say we're going to do another trip. Within 12 months, God's going to have a strategic trip in Israel out of Living Waters Church. I'm, I'm declaring that by prayer and faith in Jesus' name. And all the Jews in, in Kentucky, or let's say, you know, this region here, Lord, will you, I want you to connect believers and believers of Living Waters with Jewish people in this region like he hasn't before in a, in a greater sense. God, just do it supernaturally. Just, we want to be a part of that. And when you do that, then you're part of God's end time work. That's the last day's work of the Holy Spirit because Israel, is, as Dr. Reagan says, is a central focus of the end times. So you'll be right in the center of what God is doing in the universe. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just as some, some of you might not know, but uh, first Sunday of October has is an international day of prayer for the peace of Jerusalem. Our good friend Robert Stearns and Jack Hayford established that. I'm going to say, you know, 15 more, 20 years ago. I don't have a memory anymore. But we, every year, pick that Sunday to focus on teachings and, and ministry to Israel. So I want to encourage you, you can show up here on the first Sunday of October. That's what you're going to find. So Lord, we just, we are asking you to re- increase in our lives how to enter in this end time work of your spirit and how it impacts the Jews around the world and the land of Israel. Lord, we do not want to miss out on this. This is, this is a real thing you're doing. It's it's not just a neat Bible story. It's not something that's off, you know, in in the in the eons to come. Lord, it is now. It is happening right now, and I'm I'm calling in people to reconsider this in prayer. How do you want me, Lord, and my family to be engaged in this? And that's that's what we're doing myself. And I believe God is going to propel us into these next 40 years. This is one of the key things that I believe God wanted to remind us in this 40, 40th year celebration and launch into the next generation is this uniqueness. But Lord, I don't, I don't want to be a uniqueness. I want this to spread to pastors and churches all over the land that you would bless them because they bless Israel. Lord, we do not want to be the only one. We want this message to go and spread Lord, in our region and the country, Lord God, we want to be a part of that spread because you have blessings for the church as we bless Israel. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask our altar ministry teams to be here in the front. 
and they want to pray for you about anything going on in your life, we have a room across the hall that they can pray with you there. And, uh, and I'm going to ask you to continue just seek the Lord. We're going to go back into worship again. Of course, if you need to leave, that's fine. You're free to leave. But if you just want to uh, worship a little more, and I'll say a, a blessing here in a moment. Uh, but let's just seek God right now. Just, let's just put our eyes back on Him. Let Him have His way. you into this week. I want to pray for anyone either here or online that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I pray right now that you turn your heart to Him, that if you've been drifting away, that right now that you turn and that's what it's called, called repentance. Just turn, turn, turn toward God instead of to yourself. Just turn to God. I wonder if you would repeat after me. I would appreciate it. Let's just join with many people watching, and let's just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, you just repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I turn from my own selfish ways, and I turn toward you. I, I don't want to drift away from you anymore. I want to come to you. And Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins. I want to serve you all the days of my life. I pray a blessing over each one of you, Lord God. Empower us with your spirit and your grace to live an obedient life, Lord God, this week. Lord, that we draw closer, not farther away, Lord, that the busyness of this culture does not drag us away from our first love, from you, Lord. And Father, we pray blessings on this this marriage that's going to be happening uh, later this year, uh, this year with David and Linda. Bless this marriage. Bless their families, their ministries, Lord God. Increase them in the way you want to increase their effectiveness and their fruitfulness, Lord God. Father, we pray for Lamb and Lion Ministries, Lord God, and their, their 41 years and their transition, Lord God. Father, that you just bring them, Lord God, as a... Uh, spear point in the message of end time prophecy and the soon come of the return of Jesus. Lord God, make their their ministry be a a breakthrough spear point that that they they break through and really lead and have a leadership role in this in the earth. Lord God, that that spear would cut through cut through uh, replacement theology and cut through um, um, uh, deceptions and darkness. Lord God, and their 
that ministry will be a spear point breakthrough uh, area uh, in this area of ministry. Thank you, Lord. And Father, we are um, just asking, Lord God, that this is a week of harvest in our region, Lord. That as we get to Easter and the Resurrection Sunday, Lord, that more than we've seen, Lord, will come to know Christ. Loved ones we've been praying for, uh, friends that we've been praying for, neighbors, Lord God, that they will actually come to you in rededication and salvation this this week, Lord God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You are dismissed. Have a great week. You can feel free and stay and worship some more. We have people here for prayer. We have a phone line on the screen. That phone line is available for the next 30 minutes. There's someone there on Sunday morning for 30 minutes to uh, receive phone call prayers, and they want to pray for you. We are so glad you came. Have a great week.